Well, hi, folks out there. Just a few more days to go. Here we are, Trick Wagner Show, getting it right on Kansas EKGLN. Oh, 1192.7, that would be AM and FM, and then uh, 980 and 101.3, and various other little translators, the Internet, our friends in the ships at sea, and so forth. Thanks for joining us. I really appreciate your listenership. More than you know, it uh, it's a thing I look forward to the most every week. So thanks a lot for joining me. I do appreciate it. And I appreciate your emails, too. You can reach me at Rick Wagner. Pretty simple, just one long word, Rick Wagner, common spelling, at mail.com and I try and read everything and I'm able to respond to a few things but you guys send me some pretty good stuff sometimes and I really appreciate it and so let's get right into it this week I don't want to sound too much like Chris Cuomo used to sound like on his show you know let's get after it I don't know what he thought I was getting after maybe after a viewer I don't know but he's not doing very well on News Nation by the way have you heard yes he was already complaining about wanting a new time spot because both the people that were watching him we're doing it by accident. And so he wanted to see if he could get on a little, little better time. But, uh, moving on from that, uh, great week. I think things are moving in our direction. I don't like saying that. Uh, we're always the underdog, folks. Never forget that. I don't care if the polls say you're up by 15 points. You're the underdog. And that's because everybody's punching against you here. Nobody's wanting to let you win. Nobody but you. <laughs> we have no allies out there. There's hardly anybody in the media or fair-minded folks out there that want to see us do well. No. Just us. So we have to be the fighters. And we can't ever assume we're going to win. We can't assume we're even going to do well. Because there's a lot of forces arrayed against us here. And that is, I'm sorry, Mike, got a frog in my throat here. Or perhaps a... Uh, yeah, that could have been a dragonfly. I'm not sure. But it's just us. And by us, I mean you and I and your neighbors and everyone else. And if we don't show up and vote, make sure we mail on our ballots in this stinking mail-in state that I live in in Colorado. If you're not in Colorado, you're not stuck with mail-in voting all the time, or Lord knows what happens to your vote half the time. I'd have my, take my hat off to you. Keep your voting. You want to show up. You want to make sure that you can vote when you want to. And mail-in voting should be something that you do when you legitimately cannot vote. Not because no one will <laughs> essentially let you show up to a polling place, show an ID, and vote. And if, and if they're crafting that wherever you're at, that tells you something about what they expect from elections. They expect to control them. Elections are to be controlled. Elections are to be counted. All right. I don't want any, none of this nonsense about this big kind of platforms about, oh, so we're going to do this in the election. No. You sit there. We count vote. We cast votes. You count them. We just want to be able to cast them in a way that we're pretty sure that everybody's voting, that's voting rather, is supposed to be voting, at least by the rules that we have while they're being changed all the time. But nevertheless, it's pretty simple. Are you a citizen? Are you the person you say you are? Are you alive? Those are three questions that seem to me not that controversial. But you try and put something out there with the political left, those are fighting words, my friends. And by fighting, that means coming and doing something to you. <laughs> it's not really a fair fight. 
But we're on the winning team here. But that doesn't mean we're winning. We just have a team that can win. And we're still playing. And we've got to play right through this election. Let's say we have a good result on Tuesday. We can't stop. This is a problem Republicans and conservatives have had for a long time. We assume that there's an election and people go back to their regular lives. The left has lots of people where this is their regular life. It's all they do. The amount of wealth that we have arrayed against us on the liberal side right now, from tech, some of these hedge funds and stuff like that, who are making an enormous amount of money by working hand-in-glove with existing overarching government, I'm not sure it's been seen before in history. And we've seen some pretty crazy things in history. I don't think it's even been seen in the days of the Roman emperors and trying to satisfy the people who lived in Rome itself, you know, to try and keep themselves in power and keep the keep the legions happy and the people in the streets and all this. I don't think it's even that. Well, I think it's worse than that. That's what I'm trying to say. So we have we have a lot to fight against. Look, there's probably between San Francisco and San Diego about seven trillion, somewhere between seven and eleven trillion dollars, if you can imagine that in wealth, certainly probably seven. Now that's gone down some, thankfully, because some of these tech stocks have taken a beating because people have woken up to the fact that they're not worth as much. But nevertheless, and that money hinges on a hand in glove partnership with the overarching, as I said, manipulative and vaguely despotic government. It becomes less vague as time goes by. Enormous amounts of money are poured into elections. The amount of money that is spent on these, I'll be interested to see it if it ever gets broke down after the election. The amount of money that is being poured into Democrat campaigns, especially from the California coast, and to some extent from some of the places in where they have hedge funds and things like that, all these places that and unions is enormous. Enormous. This nonsense about Republicans, well, the party of the rich. Are you kidding me? The amount of people who support Republican candidates in terms of the wealthy, the uber-wealthy, people that maybe have more than $100 million, is dwarfed by the amount of money and people of that stature that support the left because the left helps them garner that money and keep it. And I also have a bit of a theory that this applies really to both sides of the political spectrum. I believe the technology sector, Google, Facebook, even though it's crashing and probably is eventually going to crash in terms of people being on it, but or paying attention to it. These tech platforms, social media especially, became so powerful, not only in what they were able to do, but with the amount of money they generated so fast that it outstripped even the politicians' ability to control it. So instead of these things becoming the servant of the political class, the political class became the servant of them. Happened a little bit in the first few years 
and actually started in, in the latter part of the 19th century and into the beginning of the 20th century in America with the robber barons and so forth. They managed to consolidate power as Standard Oil, Andrew Carnegie, uh, the Vanderbilts with steamships and shipping, for instance, you know, all of these folks. If you ever want to read something really interesting, to do some research into the robber baron eras right around Teddy Roosevelt and so forth. Uh, look at uh, J.P. Morgan, Jupiter Pierpoint Morgan, and uh, all of that vast control of capital. We really hadn't seen in our country uh, a vertical monopoly. And I talked about this once before, I know. You know, a vertical monopoly that takes a, an important sector of the economy and is able to control it from beginning to end. Standard Oil was really the first big one to do that. Uh, people didn't realize how important the, uh, the production of oil was going to be. And John D. Rockefeller, pretty much of a genius, really, when it came to this kind of stuff, managed to monopolize everything from the extraction of crude oil to the ground to its refining and delivery to the burgeoning automobile industry. And, of course, oil is used for a lot of other things, too. And we have never seen anything like that. This kind of wealth and now this monopoly on information and finding information, it's got to get broken up. We'll talk about that later. I'm going to try and get Joe O'Day on uh, here in a minute for the next segment. Keep your fingers crossed. Okay, we're back, my faithful listeners out here. Rick Wagner here on KNZZ KGLN. As you know, we're 1100, 92.7, 980, and 101.3. Every place they don't want us when you're on the wrong side of things. Uh, but they can't stop us. Sorry about that. Sooner or later, I guess we'll be out with chainsaws working on the towers. But until then, we're still here. And as promised, we have Joe O'Day, who I'm uh, hoping the next time we talk to him that he's Senator-elect Joe O'Day from the state of Colorado. And uh, he wanted to be on again today to talk to you folks because he's been traveling all over western Colorado this last couple of weeks especially, uh, talking to folks. And uh, he's, uh, you know, he's been in, uh, well, on Friday uh, you were where? So uh started out Thursday. We were in Newcastle, Silt rifle and then we moved on over friday uh, uh craig uh steamboat and then grand lake so we got got you know upper upper northwest portion of the state one more time as we finish out um rick thanks so much for having me on this, this morning i really appreciate it no it's my it's my pleasure and i think that our listeners are really interested they're enthused about this election in general and the fact that uh we might get rid of Michael Bennett, embarrassment to everybody over here, uh, is, is pretty exciting to folks. And so they wanted to hear from you about it. And I wanted to ask you, I'll just, I wanted to ask you right up front because the questions we get from listeners was, you know, I know that you and, you and Donald Trump have not really, uh, been on the same, same beam there. And, uh, I, I kind of want, just, I'm going to let you kind of explain that, uh, that and what you think it means for you so that people feel com- comfortable with it, because they don't really know or understand it in some instances. Well, I'm my own man. I, I said what I said. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I'm a contractor, not a politician. So I, And I'm not worried about people. I'm worried about the voters of Colorado and, and what we need to do to, to get across the finish line here in Colorado. We need to represent Colorado. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a staunch conservative. Uh, you know, I believe in a small, efficient government. I believe we need to back our law and order, and I believe we need to back our military. And, you know, I want to close this border. I want to secure this border, make sure that, you know, we get rid of this 
humanitarian crisis down there. We need to solve that immigration issue uh, and, and move the country forward. And, and then you start looking at the record crime that's been across the country here. Uh, that's, that's not a good uh, situation for any of us. So um, I, I'm, I'm going to be a, a representative of Colorado. That's what I said when I got in the race. Uh, I'm not concerned too much with who endorses me and who doesn't, other than the voters of Colorado. Uh, we built a huge uh, following here. It's good Trump supporters. It's good GOP supporters. It's, it's independents, it's Democrats that have actually just been disenfranchised by the liberal left that's taken over their party. They're in with us. They, they want to see somebody elected from Colorado that'll do the right thing for Colorado. Um, and, you know, the guy that I'm running against, Michael Bennett, he's forgotten about the Western Slope. He's forgotten about the Eastern Plains. He's not out here. You guys have seen him. Uh, and he's not doing what's right for Colorado. And that's why uh, we've got a lot of energy behind this race. And that's what we're going to win here November 8th. Well, I feel I feel pretty good about it. I'm. It's difficult. We don't get any kind of good polling anywhere anymore because most of the polls are biased and or in and wildly inaccurate. And then people have good sense that are conservatives don't tell strangers how they feel. It doesn't appear to be a healthy thing to do. So uh, you know, but I feel good about it. Just yesterday, Rick, we had a let's see, Wednesday this week, we had a Trafalgar poll that's come out. You know, they were right about Trump right. in 2016. Uh, they're a pretty good pollster, and they show us at a point and a half behind Bennett. So we're gaining ground. Uh, our movement is, is, is headed the right direction. It was 47.1 to 45.6. And if we go out and we talk to our neighbors and we talk to our friends and we talk to our families about turning out the vote this weekend, making sure that we check the box and get it turned in, we're going to be pretty dang happy with what happens here in Colorado on, on Tuesday evening. I'm going to be the next U.S. Senator from Colorado. Well, we're, we're hope, very hopeful. And you're right. Turnout is, and I always hate saying that because it's, it's one of those things people say all the time. And if you think about it, it's kind of a dumb thing to say because what you mean, if people turn out and vote for you, that's a good thing. Yeah. Let me write that down. I never thought of that before, but <laughs> it's, it's about getting that extra one or two percent of people that you know that are supporting republicans and conservatives especially that you know are there but they're not great about getting stuff done and as a, as a procrastinator myself uh, i understand that so if you got a procrastinating relative neighbor friend whatever out there you know uh and it gets to be november 7th or so if they haven't voted or on november 8th you, you know take them by the earlobe and uh Get them down there and right. get, get that vote done because that could be the difference in a race like this. And so that's, that's the, that's that, that's going to be the difference, I think, is getting those people that sometimes don't vote because they don't get around to it or whatever. That's just enough. So, you know, you people that are listening out there are, are already engaged and you're voters, but there's people who, you know, yeah, they're on our side, but they're, you know, yeah, there's something on TV. I kind of forgot to fill out my ballot. I did this and that. Can't happen this time, folks. Too important. So let's try and get that done. Uh, what do you feel about uh, when you're talking to the crowds and you're out? Trafalgar is by far the the best the best bunch out there, and they do their their sampling a little bit differently, and they've been much closer than anybody. Uh, and I can tell that they're worried about you, Joe, because I've been getting nothing but 
things in my mailbox and stuff to tell me how great uh, how great Michael Bennett is, which you know surprised me because I didn't think anybody thought that. And uh, you know, apparently that the best thing to do in America is uh, sustainable. That's somehow their word is you know uh, electric everything, which surprises me since uh, you know electricity has got to be generated somewhere. <laughs> And, you know, as a contractor, you might be interested in the, you know, what, what happens next? Uh, they want us to have all electric heat in a home. I mean, what kind that's of, what to, that, that's exactly what they're trying to do to us. Yeah. I got into this race a, a year ago, uh, in October and my wife and I set our sights on Michael Bennett. We weren't going to get distracted by a lot of the noise out of the media, a lot of the noise in both parties and we stayed focused on the issues. And that's the part that's really got me upset about all these ads. They run $40 million worth of ads against uh, my, my person uh, telling the lies about it against a great company. I employ 300 people here in Colorado and those are stand up people. I've created opportunity while Michael Bennett has been uh, creating dependency. And, and it's just, it's just sad, the state of affairs to watch what the Democrats will do to stay in power. You'll notice none of those flyers, none of the commercials are talking about the economy. None of them are talking about the hiking crime. None of them are talking about the war and energy that Michael Bennett, Joe Biden started, um, you know, and have gutted an economy over here on the Western slope. We've lost almost 30,000 jobs because they don't want to get behind our good, clean energy here on the Western Slope. It's time for a change. And that's why I got in this race. I'm not a, I'm not a politician. I'm just a contractor doing what I think is best for the United States. That's why I got in here. My wife and I have been blessed. We started a company with nothing. And we've grown that company to 300 employees. And, and that only happens here in the United States. And I want to preserve that opportunity for our kids and our grandkids. And I hope good people over here on the Western Slope will get behind my campaign. They'll come out and vote this weekend. We need change. We can't suffer through another six years of Michael Bennett doing nothing. We just can't. We It's time for a change. Well, Michael Bennett's created some jobs, too, you know, with our money, not his own. And the jobs are things like uh, people building electric charging stations for cars that people don't have, can't afford, and when there's no power to supply them. That's the kind of jobs Michael Bennett creates. Not his money and bad ideas. So, uh, you know, uh, it's nice to hear somebody that actually employed somebody uh, and knows how a business works. Plus, uh, let me add this, is if a guy, because we have a lot of people out there, small businesses, and they understand one thing that really is hardcore about a small business person is you don't get paid if you own a small business. You get to keep what's left over. So you have to understand every penny you spend and if it makes sense and if it brings you something back through the door. And that gives you the kind of understanding that very few people have. And uh, it's a hard lesson lots of times. And Michael Bennett has never even come within 20 feet of a job like that. Rick, the problem with Washington right now is we don't have enough people there that have worked a hard day in their life at all. And Michael Bennett represents, he's number one. Uh, I can tell you I've been through three recessions as a business owner. I know what it's like to do without. I know what it's like to take money out of your own pocket 
and push it back into your business to make sure you can pay your employees. I'll just tell you a funny story. I got caught one time. Uh, I ended up putting payroll on a Visa card, maxed it out, forgot to tell my wife. She showed up at the grocery store and the Visa bounced. She gave me a call. A daughter was one and a half years old, was crying. She said, groceries are in a cart and there's ice cream in there. I don't know what you're going to do about it, but, but, but you get, better get down here and take care of it. Uh, people make sacrifices when they're in small businesses. They know how important those employees are. And if you don't pay them one time, they're not coming back. They're not coming back to work that next morning. And so uh, that, that's the school that I came through. I'm going to use that business acquiem when I hit the U.S. Senate. And I'm going to remember every time you say, sign a law, right. it has something to do with small businesses. And we need a voice there for working Americans, small owners. Yeah, we do. Well, we're out of time, Joe. So remember, folks, Joe O'Day and all the other Republicans, get those guys out of there. We'll be back in a second. That's right. We're all looking at adventure out there, whatever comes our way. Thanks a lot. That was a pretty good interview with uh, Joe O'Day, I thought. And Well, not a good interview because I did it, but I meant the good information made me feel better about some things in terms of his chances out there. I think that we're real close. Uh, I was very encouraged by the fact that the uh, Trafalgar people uh, you know, Trafalgar, there's Trafalgar Square in London, named after um, Admiral Nelson's uh, great victory there, uh, great sea battle. And if I recall right, I think he perished in that. Uh, I'm not sure they've torn his statue down in Britain. I'm sure they probably will at some point. Uh, but nevertheless, that their, uh, their prognostication on the polls has been as close as anybody, closer than anybody really if you're going on the uh, 2020 election especially. And so I'm I'm reasonably encouraged about all that. I'm still gun-shy, as it were, of all of this stuff that, uh, you know, I, I believe the votes are clearly there. I believe that the electorate is ready for not just substantial, but very much epoch-changing uh, voting in this time. But I'm not so sure that it will be allowed to happen. And I, <laughs> there he goes again. He's an election denier. My favorite new term, by the way, is denialist. Yes. I hadn't heard that one before until this week. Denialist. They're an election denialist. It's, uh, it's, you know, they're working hard at this. No, what I, I'm saying is that I, I'm worried about that kind of problems during this election Tuesday night. Not only just because, as I said before, because Joe Biden was talking about it. We may not know who decided this for several days. Why not? You know, what are we, Uzbekistan? We're the United States of America. We can count the votes. Count the votes. Can you not figure that out? Let's fire people and see if we can't find some that can. We're going to fire Jenna Griswold if I have anything to say about it. I've certainly voted against uh, her for Pam Anderson, who's a much better candidate anyway, and not nearly as crazy. And so... What's going on with that? We can't get them counted. I mean, everything's computerized now. We counted votes faster 20 years ago when a lot of them were counted by hand. What's going on? Well, I know what we're suspecting is going on. Some of it, though, I put down to just plain inefficiency. A small portion of it I put down to the fact that we over-rely on technology. And any of you that know that when you're in a hurry and you go to your computer and you try and do something like, oh, I don't know, print something out. How many times does it just not want to work? 
I understand that can happen even in systems as complex and supposedly well-maintained as clerk's offices and so forth that things are counted. So there's going to be part of that. What I don't want to hear is this thing that happened like, oh, like in Georgia. Remember the plumbing problem in Georgia that, I can't remember, is it Fulton County? I, I'm just trying to remember that, uh, oh, they had to stop counting because there was a plumbing emergency. Remember, and finally they nailed it down. It was a toilet upstairs where they were counting the, the voting. It was just no, it was just a excuse, an excuse to stop for some reason. You know, things were skewing too much in a way they didn't like them, maybe. I know it's a conspiracy theory. No, it's not. I'm not saying the conspiracy. I'm just saying what it looks like. That's what it looks like. When things are going a certain way and you slam on the brakes for some emergency or some problem, and then when you come back, all of a sudden things start going a different way. How can you possibly not expect people to find that suspicious? That's That would happen in either side of the political spectrum. If that happened and it went the other way against the left, they would be surrounding the buildings and chanting, you know, hey, hey, ho, ho, the vote's got to go. Immediately. So I'm just not listening to this nonsense about, oh, it's only the people on the right, because the whole narrative is based on the idea that if things doesn't don't go, I tell you, I, I'm not getting my tenses right today. I don't know what happened to my English. If things do not go the way that the left likes, then the law has been broken, democracy has been broken, uh, everybody is somehow some sort of fascist, racist, supremacist, you name it. The only way it ever works is if they win. Anything short of them winning is broken, uh, some sort of wild ism associated with it. Uh, there's, you know, it just the list goes on and on. Most of you have heard this ridiculous nonsense from The View. I don't, I even hate talking about The View. Why do, why do I even allow myself to do that? We give these shows that have very small ratings, really, much more play, and it keeps them alive. See, Talking about the view, and I'm doing it now, I know, keeps them alive because they say outrageous things, most of them stupid. And people will, certain percentage of people will tune in to see if they're going to say something stupid and crazy today. There are some people out there on the right and the left, it's kind of a common syndrome that I'm about to talk about, that are just masochistic enough that they like to go on and hear people say crazy, nasty things about their side because it it makes you feel like, oh, my God, this is what's happening out there. I watch some of these shows. I suffer great psychic damage, I might add. It takes me a while to recover once in a while to see what's going on. And I certainly get out and look at all the websites that I can to see what all the sides are saying before I come on the radio and talk and on our podcasts and so forth. But And right now the podcasts are pretty much the radio shows, and we're, gonna, we're working on that. It's coming along pretty well, too. We're going to have some good stuff out there some point. By the way, if you're listening to this show, I'm supposed to be mentioning it, that remind yourself, obviously if you're listening to it today, you're either listening to it on Saturday or Sunday, but remember that we're on both times, noon on Saturday, 5 p.m. on Sunday, and that way if you miss one, you can hop over to the other the next day and tell your friends. I always appreciate that. But anyway, we watch these shows. The View, as you know, Sunny Houston, 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 I don't know what it is. I can't, I've not heard it pronounced enough. 
Is it like Kamala? Kamala, Kamala. I mean, she's pronounced it a bunch of different ways. I don't like to mispronounce people's name because it just it seems like you should take a minute to to learn it. But if they're not going to make it clear, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Where she's the one that said this week, and I know you've heard this probably, that white suburban women voting for Republicans are like roaches voting for raid. Now, what she's trying to say is, in her mind, I know it's a scary place to even imagine being, in her mind, that you're voting against your own interest if you're a white suburban woman you're voting for Republican. Of course, we know that is insane. But that's what she thinks. But that's what she's trying to manifest. But the way she uses it is terrible. And if it was used in some other way by a right-wing person, then the entire media complex would be in an uproar. People would faint. People at MSNBC would smash their heads through windows. Uh, there would be some sort of flying backward in the chair like John Belushi used to do on Saturday Night Live years ago, you know, when he'd get it, when he'd pretend to be upset. Just because, how dare a Republican say something like that? Oh my, oh my gosh. He's, he's, he's calling these people roaches. And she did. Now, she's not really saying that, although I think it's in it, you can interpret what's going in the back of that sort of foggy brain of hers anyway, but, uh, that's the implication when she says that. And what I don't mind saying is I don't think it's a slip of the tongue. Now, I'm sitting here speaking more or less of a couple of notes, look, actually looking at my iPad with a couple of things on it, off the top of my head. I am very likely to say something off the top of my head that doesn't come out right. That's not the case for her. She does some of that. I'll, I guess I will. But this kind of thing sounds very much like something that she's been thinking about. She's She wanted to say this. You know, was she practice, practicing it in the mirror in her dressing room? Maybe. Don't know. But so there it is. Nothing, right? Nothing from the left about this. And it's, it's the, it's the difference between treatment. It's the unequal treatment of these things that is, is a huge problem. Now, uh, there's another one out there who is getting taken off of MSNBC. Uh, I'm sure it's simply because of ratings in their mind. Tiffany Cross. If you watch Tiffany Cross, I think she's on noonish or something like that on MSNBC. I know you're not watching her. I also like to see what the uh, broken toys that are, you know, waiting to get picked up for the ferry to go to the island of broken toys, uh, what they look like. So I like to flip through there. And Tiffany Cross is a very hateful person. (laughs) I don't think if you don't watch some of these hosts, I mean, they talk about, oh, the, the, the Hannity's, the Tuckers, or this and that. These guys are Santa Claus compared to the hosts on MSNBC most of the time. And for that matter, the morning Joe. <laughs> they, they're nothing like these guys. These guys are right at it. I mean, there's no like having to interpret what they're saying. And she was a very difficult person and seemed to be very angry about everything and didn't like people very much. All sorts of people. And, uh, but, you know, I posted this on the website, and I, I mean it when I said that I, I some level I hate to see these people go, because if you if you do see clips of them and so so forth, it reminds me and you of what this country would be like if we didn't keep fighting this narrative, because this is the direction they would like it to go. This kind of thought process and this attacking and this viciousness against the other side, 
And, uh, of course, she'll find another job. She's been on there two years. I think I think if you tuned in to watch her, you would probably boost her ratings by about 10%. So she's been there a long time for doing nothing in terms of ratings, but they couldn't get rid of her because I'm sure she had a contract. She's not going to be canceled. She said a lot of crazy stuff. It's nasty. Nobody cares. The one thing she did say that this highlighted in the story, and I thought I'd put it in, it's it's a little off color, but it gives you some idea how she talks. They they She was asked on this uh, show, Charlemagne the God, and politicians that go on to appeal to, you know, the black audience and so forth, they had, had apparently pretty good audience for that. And this guy was always kind of interesting. He's entertaining to listen to. I don't think he knows much. I mean, he doesn't spend a lot of time trying to educate himself about these things. He just says things. But I think he's essentially kind of a bright guy, but he doesn't doesn't really seem to work at it very hard. On her show, on his show, rather, he asked her, she was a guest, you know, well, if you had to get rid of a state or something, which one would it be? And her answer was, Florida literally looks like the D-K of the country. So let's get rid of Florida, Cross responded. Let's castrate Florida. Okay, there you go. That gives us some idea of the gentleness of this gentlewoman. It just, it never goes away. And so you need to be reminded of that all the time. By the way, Shepard Smith, remember the old Shep? The old Shep man on uh, Fox a couple of years ago, he left in a huff because he got sideways with Tucker Carlson because he didn't like one of his guests and what they were saying. Shepard Smith was a newsman. He went to uh, CNBC. Uh, his audience was apparently a parakeet, several shut-ins, a goldfish, and some people who were watching shows on a TV in a store. And that, I think, that was pretty much his audience. And so they finally got rid of him. Remember, Shepard was the big lib uh, of us outside of the semi-stealth lib of Chris Wallace at uh, Fox and went storming off to CNBC. When, you know, his audience there, I think, started out at about fourth what it was at Fox and went down. So there you have it. This is what happens. Big lib, arguing about everything all the time. Some of you may remember, and I don't know why I remember this, that Shepard, when he was with Fox in 2000, I don't know how I know this, got in a fight because he was trying, he was in Florida as a reporter then, trying to save a parking space for a, for a news vehicle, and somebody was try, kept trying to park into it. He had a big hubbub with him. I always remember that. I don't know why. So Shep is gone. We'll see where he turns up. Probably News Nation. He and Chris Cuomo can have arm wrestling matches. I mean, after all. We're looking for entertainment, not just news out there. That would be reasonably entertaining. But, you know, during this election on Tuesday night when you're watching this, you got to kind of choose where to watch, and you have to choose what to watch in the election itself. I would say on the East Coast, where, of course, we should be getting should be getting uh, results first because of the time, right? <laughs> The time zone, it is a couple hours ahead of where I'm at, depending on where you're listening, if you're listening to the podcast or on one of our translators someplace, uh, that we should know a couple of things. And, and obviously, a big race to watch will be the New York race with Lee Zeldin and Kathy Hochul, uh, who is auditioning to be a stand-in for uh, Nancy Pelosi for photo shoots and so forth. She's getting her eyebrows almost high enough. She's working hard at it. But if that race breaks towards Zeldin, then that's where the wave starts, if there is one. 
that's where a big wave starts, not just a regular wave. That would be a seem to me a big wave. If Zeldin wins in New York, where like I've said before, you're not just working with something that is, you know, biased kind of against the Republican. You're working against one of the longest running political machines in America, in New York, all the way back to Tammany Hall and those kinds of things. So if they can't throw themselves in front of the Zeldin bus and stop him, then it's going to be hard to stop people in a lot of different places. The other one is uh, New Hampshire with uh, Hassan and Bolduc and the Senate. That's tightened up to a toss-up, I think, and I think it pretty clearly is a toss-up. If that goes for Republican Bolduc, uh, and I'm probably mispronouncing his name, I look at it and mispronounce it every single time. He's a former Brigadier General and seems like a very good candidate. That was not supposed to be a close race, and it's a toss-up, and I think it could go his way. Once again, if that goes his way, then I think that we're going to see some real change everywhere. Georgia will be interesting to watch. Remember two things about Georgia. One is that they had too many weird things happen last time, so we'll be watching for that. And second is that they can have a runoff. If a candidate does not get over 50%, even though he beats the other candidate, they have to have a runoff again, another election. Remember, that's what happened last time. And so we want Herschel to win, and we want him to have 51%, or 50.5 would Although be a recount until we're all 40 years older than we are now, that happens, but nevertheless. Then we'll start seeing things build. And we'll watch J.D. Vance, who I think is going to win. I think that Laxalt will win Nevada. I think Masters is going to win. Carrie Lake, I think, is for sure going to win. You know, Beto probably isn't going to win in Texas. I know you're laughing. That's pretty easy. And then you got to look at kind of the analysis. And at the end of the day, you have to look at very different places. Obviously, I'm going to spend most of my time on Fox. If it looks like there's going to be a big wave coming, of course, I'm going to look at uh, some of the other stations to see the tears. I mean, and the, the hair being pulled out, the screaming, people, you know, being pulled back from windows or throwing themselves out of, stuff like that. But uh, that's what we're going to look at that. And then, you know, the the rest of it, you can look for analysis. And there are some hosts that are just better at it than others. And on the radio, we have good ones here. As for me, well, you know, I I think it comes down to just who your personal favorite. I mean, I have to say, I almost never miss Tucker. I don't always agree 100% with what he says, but I like his analysis. And I like his delivery, and I think he makes a real difference. I was wondering who the new rush was going to be. In other words, a person who was the one out there sounding the alarm. The Paul Revere, as it were. And uh, there's several out, no question about it. I, I, I think Mark Levin is certainly one of them. Uh, you know, I think that Hannity uh, is, you know, solid in that kind of thing. I really like Jesse Kelly. <laughs> He's one of my favorites here on KNZZ. And so, yeah, there's a lot of them. But Tucker has been able to encapsulate some of these issues better than Anybody, I thought. So I've been very pleased with that. So there's plenty of them out there I like. I I don't miss Gutfeld, if I can avoid it either. I, and, you know, even when he's kind of firing on one cylinder, it, it's rapid fire enough to where, okay, I'll say seven things that I think are funny, four of them not very funny, a couple of them that are kind of funny, and three or so that really stick with you as being funny and right on point. So 
I didn't mean to devolve too much into this uh, analysis of, <laughs> of media, but I guess what I was trying to start off with was when you're watching on Tuesday, and I know you can't help it. I mean, I would prefer not to watch, just be told, frankly, but I'm probably going to be watching it fairly carefully, and I'll be certainly looking at what's going on on the Internet on Monday. You have to make sure that you're getting your money's worth out of this stuff, as it were. I mean, you are paying for cable if you're watching Fox. And I, I like to watch it and, but just check it periodically because these things stretch out and it's hard to know what's important to watch. I think the most important thing for us to watch here is going to be when the first returns come back in, those are going to be the early mail-ins probably. And they're going to skew Democrat more, more than the rest of the state. So it's going to be part way into the evening before, oh, you know, a couple hours in before we start seeing anything. I don't know how that's going to go, how the counting's going to go. I don't know if Jenna Griswold, God knows what she'll do, uh, who's in charge of this stuff in the, in the final result of the Secretary of State's office. But I, I really think Joe O'Day has a shot. I think that, uh, Heidi Ganahl is, a, it, it's terrible what the party did with her, the National Party. I mean, I really think that, they just didn't put any money into her campaign. I mean, and I talked to some people, and one of the things they said, well, you know, I mean, she didn't have name recognition and this and that, good candidate, but Polis has all this money of his own, so if you give her $2 million, he'll just write a check to himself for $4 million. And then, so there's a lot of, there was a lot of throwing their hands up in the air that I thought was unfair and probably not very smart in the long run. We want to make sure that Adam Frisch finds his way back to, the, to Aspen where he can cavort doing whatever he does up there in the city council, you know, passing this or doing that. I don't know if he's even on it. I haven't even explored that. I don't even care. Don't care. No. I've heard everything I need to know about Adam Frisch. Make my mind up. I saw a sign today up, Republicans for Frisch. Really, I don't know a single Republican I've talked to, and I talked to a lot of them that ever mentioned being for Frisch or even gave an indication that they would do that. If they are, they're really hiding it. So I think despite all of the billboards, the signs, this, that, the other thing, I don't see that happening. Uh, in our local races here, I, despite some signs and stuff around town, I, I don't see things going any differently than we would expect. I don't want to say that because that's always that sort of, well, you got to, you know, I'm overconfident. Like I said earlier, we're always the underdog. We're always fighting everything. We're fighting the media. We're fighting the narratives. We're fighting ways that we have a hard time fighting against because it is relentless on the left. Relentless. They never stop. You can't either. As soon as the election's over, you gotta take a little time out, get ready for the holidays, and then we gotta gear up for school board and council elections and these off-year things will be coming in April. And we're gonna be there and we're gonna fight our way out of this. And this country is gonna be better for it. And I will talk to you next week. Good luck. Keep your fingers crossed.